hello there, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Adjust the Mic podcast. Hello, hello. We are on episode 184. I think it's 184. 184. We have a, a special guest with us, to, Colleen, who could not be here tonight. That's it. Uh, we're probably going to see her on Thursday. Colleen, we love you. Uh, che. Hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? Yeah, Scott. Enjoyed the holidays. And Heck yeah, man. And to be here. Dude, uh, my uh, trusty sidekick over here, uh, <laughs> Sweet T, Mr. T, Thaddeus Maximus. Yeah. How's it going, T? Great, great. Dude, I'm Glad to be like, here. It's been nice. We've been like seeing each other like every day now, every couple of days. We're yeah. going on some uh, hiatuses here over the, the fall and in last year so it's nice seeing us uh getting all of our little projects and everything together and uh we're getting this podcast going we got the beat and, going. uh yeah man it's been really nice man so good to see you again hey che how cool is the studio look it's so, so much better it's like it's uh, awesome right well you know when i came in i said like dude you've, uh, it expanded it really has kind of like um <laughs> kind of like the the guys in the movie uh, uh or the manga uh, akira akira uh, like you know how he starts expanding mechanically and biologically. It's like yeah. that's even more wires. Well, you know why he it's did all like this, it. right? He discovered he had a bulging desk. No, no, I get, I get it. No, no, but it looks good. It looks great. It really does. Thank you, Scott. I didn't have my last track there, so sorry. I was getting you situated over here. I should have done that before we even started, guy. That's okay. Uh, but yeah, man. So, uh, Che, you um. Were one of our most downloaded episodes last year. Yeah, also uh, you guys told me that was, uh, that was awesome. It was really cool to to, to hear that because we had some really good long form conversations that were kind of off of what we normally do. So it's always kind of cool when you do a few things that are different. You have some different people on, and you see how it affects the show. And uh, it was kind of neat to see that man. So that was really awesome. I, I, um, I always have a blast when I'm with you guys. It's really fun to chat. It's always, it's always a great time, isn't it? We've, we've had a great time every single time. So I look forward to us doing this regularly. Oh, yeah. uh, we can even call you. So if you're on some kind of amazing musical mission, you know, you're like in Europe at the, some orchestra, you know, and you're <laughs> crying, you know, in the, in the back, Sweet. you know, and you're like, like maybe Michelangelo's. You know, great, 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 great grandson is painting, you know, an addition on the 17th chapel. Seventeen, And you're there and you could just call us from there and say, hey, oh. this is what I'm doing right now. What are you guys doing? Well, we're sitting over at Scott's over at the little barge studio and uh, talking. I'm not sure to give you a call when, uh, whenever I'm there. Yeah, when you're doing cool stuff like that, let us know. Definitely in the summer. Yeah. Um, in March, too. I'm going to be going there temporarily in March. Okay. You're going to be in Rome. Yeah, I'm going to be in Rome. When in uh, Rome. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, I haven't got my ticket yet, but it's going to be um, it's going to be between like uh, the, the second the second week of March, uh, between March 11th till March 18th or so. Let's see if this works. Dude, that's just killer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, dude. What do you think the weather's going to be like? Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean... Uh, I never been to I never been to Italy. I mean, I'm sure when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, perhaps. But I'm like, I don't know what it, I've never experienced what Italy's like. Uh, I, in, I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, I want to know what Italy's like too. Uh, I want to go to Sicily, where my grandfather, uh, you know, was, you know, was born, and 
and just experience, you know, what it is like over there. I bet, I bet it's awesome. Oh no, that's. I mean, there's hardly a place. It's gonna have a great time. Oh yeah, uh, every time when I'm in it, Italy, I, I always have a blast. I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of the cities. I love the the country the, the countryside yeah. more in Italy um, than. Uh, I mean, Rome is a cool city. Everyone should see Rome. It's. Uh, have you and, been? Oh yeah, I met mom many times. Uh, yeah. Like because normally I go to I go to Italy in the summer to see my family in Spain and in Italy. Okay. And whenever I am in Italy, at least I go to Rome at least once. Okay. Um, Maybe perhaps once or twice in like of the summers that I go there, I haven't. I skipped out on Rome, but usually I go to Rome at least once. Oh. Uh, it's fun to explore. So, like, is it a city worth living in? I mean, depends on what. Like, if the person's a city person or a country person. Uh, for me, Rome's nice to check out and see for one or two days, but then I got to get out of there. And I had the same sentiment for most cities. I don't think I'd want to live in a big city either. It's just too much. It's too loud. It's too, uh, there's too much. I, I mean, too crowded. Yeah, like, I think Orlando's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> like I would hate to have to deal with that traffic every day. You know, I'd hate to be so close to so many people no, all the time. Oh, definitely. Like in the city, like in New York where people are just living right on top of each other and you can hear everything. And I mean, usually if you live in an apartment complex like that, you're not, you even, you could be by yourself, but you have a community where everybody knows everything everybody's doing and everybody's close knit. Uh, I would imagine it's like that in Rome, okay. you know, I mean, these are old cities, you know, in a lot of these places that have been around for a very long time. So you got to think it's old dated, even infrastructure. And it, that you're fighting and dealing with just like you would in an old, you know, infrastructure here, depending on how well it's upkept well, and the tourists get one version of it. Right. And that's the thing. Like when I was a kid, you know, I was watch, uh, I would watch, uh, you know, whether it's Spider-Man or Batman movies and I'd see the, the them on the city buildings and you see gargoyles and you see Gothic yeah. Corum on the other, like, but that doesn't make sense because, uh, as a kid I already knew, um, I already knew that, you know, New York and places in Chicago, they're not ancient places. Like, why do they have those kind of medieval decorum or ancient decorum? Like, oh, when they were designed, they were basically... Because of Batman, it's Gotham, man. Oh, yeah, Gotham City. But even, <laughs> but even if you go to New York or uh, any of those big... Ghostbusters, man. If, if you look at, look at the, the towers and at the top of the... Was it the State Building? I forgot, like, where they battled... Empire State Building? Uh, yeah, like that that vital on the roof. Zool. Like, yeah. Zool, yeah. No, but like um the, it's just, you know, it's and just Zool. It's it's modern implementation of medieval and ancient architecture just to give it the the, the nice look. But yeah. um there's more obviously it's this uh, there's more genuine architecture. when I mean genuine architecture architecture of antiquity is that be, the architecture there w- was made most uh, so, uh, like most of the uh, the, the old um, uh, the old buildings that are there were made in those times. They've just been kept up to date. They just they didn't let them deteriorate. You got yeah. the Colosseum that was built in the in the year um, it, it was built after the year uh, sixty four AD. So you, you got that for nearly two thousand years, and um, yeah, it's been it's been. Uh, maintain and they maintain their their architecture there the spanish steps the trevi fountain those were made in the 18th century you got the castle castle of san angelo i think that was in the 
1300s or 1200s. I, I could be wrong on that one. You got the Vatican, you got the St. Peter's Square, that was in the 1500s. Uh, all those times, you know, maintained. Yeah. Uh, it's just. Uh, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. And, uh, you know, they call Rome the Eternal City. Uh, yeah, because of their expectations of its long-lastingness. But take a look. I mean, it's holding up pretty well. The last yeah. time I was in Rome, the last time I was in Rome, uh, I but did. Can a, you throw up some images of Rome? Yes. Like I did. Person, I like. I walked. Heck yeah. I, I walked all over the city in one day. Got there like at six or seven on the train. Uh, I would get on a train in a town called Derni. Uh -huh. And a little fun fact of Derni, that's where St. Valentine originated. Oh. And uh, that the, you said, well, there's a statue of St. Valentine in Terni. But I got on the train in Terni and I got to Rome, went there at six or seven in the morning, just spent the entire day walking around. Um, I mean, I've been around, this, this, was, this was the first time I walked around the city on myself, no, without being accompanied by family or friend. I just, How long ago? Uh, I say four years ago, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's it, not too long ago. Not too long ago. It, yeah. it was an, it was an amazing just a little bit before COVID, really. Oh yeah, before yeah, before they uh, lost their mind. Yeah, I mean, you got the Coliseum up there. You got uh, uh, you got the um, Pantheon uh, right there. Um, you got the end. Yeah, that's in the interior of the Coliseum. I um, said so you got the 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 Forum of Nerva. Nerva was one of the five good emperors. Yeah. What's that to you? Yeah, that's the forum. Uh, that's the forum. I, it has to be the forum of Nerva, I think. Uh, like I said, Nerva was one of the five good emperors, and they maintained some of the forums. The forums is basically the is um it's basically where people hung around in the in the market. It's like where people shopped, hanged out, talked. Uh, it kind of like a, you know, like in the Boston, you have Boston Commons. Uh, well, basically, that's the common ground. You know, on Facebook, you have the Facebook forum mm -hmm. uh, because that's where everybody chats and shares. That's basically that area in the city where everyone hangs out. Gotcha. That's the forum. Mm. What's that? Let's see. Um, that must be Paso del Popolo. Um, overlooking is from Villa Borghese. It's like a very beautiful garden. Uh, you go down the steps just to get to Piazza del Popolo. It means uh, Piazza of the People. It's, Anthony Hopkins, it. right? Uh, oh, this was in Angels and Demons. This was, uh. I think, if one were to find a ref, an art, uh, reference of popularity, uh, Angels and Demons. I think it was the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the you know, for those of you who haven't, uh, the, one of the Cardinals was. Uh, yeah, Forrest Gump was in that movie. Yeah, Tom Hanks. <laughs> and he was. Uh, uh, I just thought of something. Um, that the 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 cardinal that suffocated was put in that in in that church. But yeah, um, and if you go, um, in fact, uh, there's this uh, a, there's this uh, street in Rome uh, called. Um, oh, come on, I don't want to mess up. Um, I think uh, Via del Corso, um, and that's like the central line that goes to Rome. If you follow along that line, it's basically like. Uh, the main street of Rome. Oh, is that what that little channel was? The uh, channel? The other photo. Like you can see down the... Well, the... Well, and, and there's underground tunnels throughout all these uh, cities and everything as well. There were, yeah. There's some TV show. <laughs> Caligula, Caligula, they, he had an underground tunnel to take him from... To take him from... Um, from the stadium where he watched the games, mm -hmm. not the Coliseum. Coliseum was not yet built then, another stadium, to back to his palace. 
As a matter of fact, I believe he was killed in that tunnel. He would take the tunnel to avoid, you know, uh, security risk. A private gotcha, yeah. passageway. He got killed by his own guards. Yes. And the, the reason why is like his guards hated him. They were sick of him. Yeah, gotcha. Um, I remember once I was, um, I wrote a paper. Uh, I never showed it to anyone, but it's uh, trying to figure out why Caligula was crazy. And there's a good reason really that he suffered some sort of mental illness. Yeah. Uh, he was um, he was actually a good emperor. He he, he was uh, he, he turned out to be his first good. Um, uh, he, he was but like what like when we say good emperor, what's the relative? Like what are we relative <laughs> to what? Like not did he just like um, murder like five babies a day? <laughs> Where every, or other emperors only maybe murdered, you know, maybe ten or fifteen. Uh, Caligula was uh, he no, no like he was not. It, it's sad that the Romans had to put up with it. He just chopped off babies' fingers. He, he didn't was, murder them all the way. No, no. You ain't, you ain't he, seen the movie. And wore them as necklaces. I have not seen the movie. Oh, I, I, yeah. I know nothing of Caligula. He, Caligula. Uh, he uh, he was not unreasonably punitive. He like was. Hold on here. Let's uh, ask Mister Predicto here real quick. Right. Hey, Mister Predicto. Was Caligula a good emperor? I would not count on it. Well, uh, after, uh, Mr. Predicto uh, completely mouth- disagrees. I, yeah, I would have disagreed. In the annals of history, he wasn't really a good... He started out as good. He yeah. had one bad day he had a, or, or a series of day. he he was just sick yeah for a period i remember of this and he what, came what out of it all fried and mean exactly right? yeah uh, uh, that's where that's that's because so is that like a would be like in today's uh language some type of a stroke of some kind or some kind of a brain some, trauma or like an overheating uh, that i read one's article that he probably suffered from porphyria but or porphyria came from uh, the same thing that george the third suffered from and most of the hanover and hohen and also uh, german kings is, uh, is george the third no that's what was henry right that was in the the uh tv show on henry the eighth yeah that was Tudors. on yeah the Tudors. yeah no no uh, henry the eighth uh, was uh, was a completely different case he was just basically spoiled um no well, yeah. well, well before he got the gout and syphilis he was already, he was already a, a mean person but yeah. with caligula so just uh, said the uh, backdrop before caligula became emperor his uncle tiberius was emperor of rome but tiberius was very uh reclusive he sp- he just lounged away on the Isle of Capri and he put his best man, Sejanus, in charge of Rome. And Sejanus took advantage of this power and he started that's so the historians say that he started arresting people without trial. They were they could do that back then. And they happened to be not just enemies of Tiberius, but people that Sejanus didn't like. So he was basically removing all his enemies, taking advantage of now, Tiberius's rule. Sure. And suddenly out of the blue Tiberius marked Sejanus as an enemy, had him arrested, and Tiberius kind of went back in somewhat administrative control. But then Tiberiusly mysteriously died. Some say he was assassinated. And then Caligula, with his cousin, uh, became emperor. And one of the first things that Caligula did was reverse all the arrest orders made by Sejanus. He basically denounced all the abuses of power during Tiberius's reign, um, I think he wanted to uh, basically he he helped he did was at one point generous to the masses, 
And then one day he got sick, almost like a horrible fever, almost died, but he survived. And then ever since he went completely kaput, he thought he was a god. He started doing really, uh, he started arresting. He just became the same thing as his uncle Tiberius. So, so uh, at the very beginning, you were talking about uh, Tiberius. He he left somebody in charge. His his best man, Janus. Sejanus. Sejanus. Okay, so Hugh Janus. Okay, uh, Sir Janus over here. S E J A N U S. Yeah, yeah. I just heard it the way I heard it. Sejanus or Sejanus. I don't know. Hugh Janus or Sejanus. It's Hugh Janus. Okay, think about it. If you guys are are Hugh Janus, right? And your your best friend is the king, and you don't have any reference of anything, of uh, uh, you don't have any scrolls that help you uh, make decisions. You are just whoever you are, right? And you have your community of people, and what is deemed good or bad is created and taught within that community, pretty much. Uh, there's not too many outside forces. Didn't they have decades and hundreds of years behind them, though, of, you know, running the city and politics? Uh, as I understand. Some kind of standard. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I, I would love to, like, help me with this framework here because well, I, I think that's a good point. I misunderstood when I read about Augustus, especially uh, when he became emperor. Um, the philosophy of Augustus is that the purpose of the emperor was to prevent corruption from the Senate. Because even before the Roman Empire, when there was a republic, there had been dictators before, and every dictator was a dictator for the same reason. The Senate is a re corrupt. A republic is can be easily corrupted. Mm -hmm. You had dictators like um, Lucius Sulla, Julius Caesar, and a, but the emperor's idea was to quell or to p keep the power of the Senate in check. But thing is, there were not really guidelines of what is the emperor's powers because. Before the emperor, in this, there was a republic. The best thing you had for a commander in chief was a consul. But even the consul would be would have to check in with the senate, just like the president has to check with the house of reps and the mm -hmm. uh, or with the legislative branch, house of reps and senate, and the ju the judicial branch. So even at that time, Janus, he had some. Uh, there was some corralling. Um, I guess the point that I'm making is this Hugh Janus guy. So, yeah. <laughs> As he, if if I'm that guy, and I get I'm given and I'm put in, in power to say, hey, I'm gonna go chill over here. I want you to rule the people, deal with the Senate, deal with all these MFers, do all this kind of stuff, uh, keep everything secure and safe. You got that, or yeah, pretty <laughs> I <laughs> you got that, or uh, call uh, me. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> That's for I I. How could I not do it corruptly? Like, there's no way I'm going to let people that are, like, against me and wanting to kill me, and I have to sleep with no security cameras, no anything. That's... Uh, like, like you have to... Uh, uh, like, moves, right? you have to be proactive yeah. 
to be to stay active i feel like oh, yeah. in that day and age Definitely. so like in our today's age of security and protection and what's right or wrong i feel like has a completely different perspective oh, yeah. than the, than back then on what's right or wrong well back you know what i mean like completely different right well that's that's why the roman Empire uh, when it came to Emperor's House, crazy because Sejanus didn't really receive written instructions what he can or cannot do. He was an old buddy, a military buddy of Tiberius. Tiberius, he hated politics, and to a certain extent, he did not like his father-in-law Augustus. Um, based on what I what I got from what I read, uh, Tiberius lived for the military but after he left the military to become emperor he did not want anything to do with politics so he told his friend from the military you take care of it make sure the senate's in line there's no corruption um he's basically was to act as um uh, act, act as emperor by proxy but he he took uh but from what it was written he took advantage but he didn't receive from what I know, he didn't receive any specific instruction except do as I would do. But mm-hmm. what it says is that he... I mean, what else are you going to do? you got to send your fr- your freaking pigeons with their little <laughs> notes over the seas over to your homie to say, hey, I'm over here. Yeah. I got all the women over here with me, and I got all the protection. I got half of our warriors Well, you know, blocking. I got my fishermen out there feeding me, and I'm sitting here, and they got a big old freaking fan, like a big palm tree. This is what... A, Tease like over his property, you know. He's got you know all these people coming over and they fan him with their big old you know uh, palms, palms branch. and everything. And yeah, I mean um, that's the thing. That's where it uh, was controversial. We don't uh, was it really was Sejanus really following Tiberius's orders or was he taking advantage? Because all the people that supposedly he said he got the clear for Tiberius to arrest for treason. At the same time, apparently, he didn't like either. Uh, was he removing his enemies to eventually assassinate Tiberius, make himself emperor? Is this, is, this has been a movie already, right? Oh, yeah. There there has been a book and a miniseries called I, Claudius. Okay. Uh, okay. It's a pretty good... Uh, it was written, the book's written by Robert Graves. Uh, one of the good emperors of Rome, Emperor Claudius, he, uh, this is a... Uh, basically, the book is him retelling from the Emperor Augustus to up to him mm-hmm. and claudius was the stepdad of emperor claudius nero. maximus yeah these <laughs> related to, to claudius, thaddeus maximus uh, claudius nero yeah. um and um you're part of the faro tribe right possibly yeah but yeah it's uh, a little I, different than nero's i claudius is oh, a good okay. uh, dramatization of what, what this is this is the julian claudian dynasty mm-hmm. augustus tiberius caligula claudius nero those were the julio claudian emperors okay. the julian claudian dynasty okay but, would they who are they like like if zeus and percy jackson no and I, all his lords and all his gods you know were going to go up against these emperors who'd win uh, what well, the the Julian Claudians versus actual Greek gods? Let's <laughs> <laughs> see where you're gonna go with that. <laughs> well, you know, this, here's the crazy thing: uh, the first Julian Claudian emperor, Augustus, he his uncle was Julius Caesar, and Jul- or great uncle was Julius Caesar, and he claimed that he was a descendant of Venus. 
that he claimed to be because uh, it got to his head that since he was almost invincible in war, not that he was a great commander, just he was so, he thought he was actually a god, Mr. Magoo. And, and yeah. when you watch like Roman Empire, when you watch any of these Spartacus TV series, when you watch anything from the era, everything is like you know, uh, pray to the gods. Mm-hmm. Is that that's Zeus and all of them, right? Uh, in the Roman or what case, gods are these? Um, you got Zeus would be Jupiter. Mars would be Aries, Venus would be Aphrodite, okay. Cupid would be Eros, Neptune, Poseidon, Pluto, Hades. So just for future reference, if you ever get asked the same question, especially on a podcast, <laughs> I feel like the way you should answer it, you should be like, well, uh, Percy Jackson doesn't like his father, Zeus. So Percy Jackson and his uh, men would join over to the emperor's side. And I think the power of the both the emperors and the gods' sons who are angry at their fathers would succeed in maximizing uh, victory. Oh, well, Percy Jackson is basically Harry Potter, but with Greek mythology and Roman mythology. A hundred percent. But his father is Poseidon, I think. But but Percy Jackson also had uh, a horsey uh, to protect him. A horsey. Uh, he, he, a minotaur. A mi- did he? Or a centaur? Centaur. I'm sorry. Yeah, centaur. Yeah, his centaur. teacher was a centaur. But the, you don't be. Is yeah, a minotaur a, a is a dad one? No, no, no. Uh, Percy Jackson's father was Poseidon. Yeah, but what's a centaur's dad? Is it a minotaur? Uh, no. We just no, did he, this last yeah, night. Here's what's interesting. A minotaur is supposedly the son of Poseidon, as well. Bull. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't, wasn't he in a cave and he got slain uh, by somebody? Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Uh, Tor, T-A-U-R, is Greek is a bull. And Mino is the bull of Minos because this is the kingdom of uh, uh, Minos, uh, the Minoan culture or civilization and the island of Crete. So that's where the Minotaur derives. And apparently uh, Poseidon had an affair with the queen of Crete or, uh, and um or son, I forget. He's basically a cursed son of Poseidon. He was cursed to be half man, half bull. So the king of Crete or Mino, uh, King Minos, put him in the labyrinth. Mm. And his job, I'm gonna put a bunch of young people in there, and if they get lost, you kill them. And that's bas- and that's how you get the story of uh, Theseus. Didn't he have uh, a one-eyed son on the island that Homie went to? Cyclops is the also is also uh, cycl- the cycloptic friend. At least the see what I did here. Yeah. At least a, I just rabbit hold the heck out of this podcast <laughs> in the best way. At least the Cyclops, pol, uh, I think his name was Polyphemus from the the Odyssey, was the son of Poseidon. Okay, um, but uh, besides, hey, is the Odyssey Iliad? Uh, all he had the Iliad. No, I'm just, uh, Iliad. <laughs> uh, sorry, the Iliad um, is the pre is comes before the Odyssey. The Iliad um, ends, I think the Iliad ends with the death of Achilles or Hector. Or, and then the Odyssey picks up after the death of Achilles. The Odyssey begins with the sack of Troy. But something a lot of people don't know is Achilles eventually sued that person for not dipping his ankle in. <laughs> then the river sticks. Yeah. He sued his own mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the afterlife lawsuit. Well, you know, if I, like, I dipped you in the sticks river, all you had to do is just not get hit in the least likely place to get hit by an arrow <laughs> and like how do you mess that one up dude <laughs> can't you fl- like grab the other foot and dip you know but you know you know it's interesting that um to, to, from mythology to star wars isn't that interesting like uh when uh, when the first star wars were made you know how did they blow up the death star there was that just that one 
tiny hole that yep. one hole that you send a laser on and the whole thing goes <laughs> kaputs it's just i mean they ma- then they made the movie rogue one just to make it look like the empire was not intentionally competent it's like oh we have an insider he made the hole on purpose so the <laughs> rebels can bring it down and he'll transfer the plans to leia but you know before rogue one was made it kind of gave that you know romantic uh, like that mythological sentiment of like oh the empire's achilles heel it's that one place they didn't think no one would shoot at which you know it's, yeah you left what open <laughs> fire that guy <laughs> like the, the death star was being made while palpatine before even palpatine became emperor and they knew they knew there was a oh, did the empire know that he was sponsored by oil of la before he went evil <laughs> i just i just finished uh, a few months back uh, the uh the audiobook for darth plagueis yeah and uh i tell you what man it was so good and it was it was pretty much plagueis was uh, palpatine's uh, master. uh master and and it was pretty much it's the story of uh plagueis being you know yeah, in a very bad spot and at his worst and trying to get himself back into power. And uh, Palpatine was his, the subject that he found to latch on to to help get him there. And Palpatine played him like a fiddle. Which, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah played I, him like a fiddle. I have a friend of mine. In that series. Who, uh, yeah, sorry. So, yeah, I have a friend of mine who uh, he told, um, he, 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 read, he read the same book. He basically, from what he described, basically, like, it just actually reinforced the concept of uh, Palpatine. He may have been perhaps the best Sith because he was good at manipulating and using. He did it to his master. He did it to at least three pupils of two, two, yeah. three pupils. He did Killed his father. Maul, Dooku, Vader. He was good at manipulating, getting people to yeah. do things his way. I mean, really, talk about it. Really a, was a classic villain because you know, in the first Star Wars, just a guy in a hood talking very creepily and convincing people to do the wrong thing, and then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when you think about his character analysis, what it what does he represent? The the toxicity of those who take advantage and how they change you into something worse. Yeah, and they're the ones who, in the end, if you allow yourself to be influenced the way others want you to, and the way in the end is their victory. Oh, totally. It's totally. like what he told Luke, like, kill him, get it, kill him. <laughs> yes, do what I know you want to. I'll yeah. win if you do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, grimy guy. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's wild, man. It's very wild. So uh, another thing I would like to kind of switch over and kind of the same subject, we were talking about it before we started recording, is uh, I've been stuck watching this uh, on Netflix. Uh, it comes from the Cocaine Cowboys. You got uh, what's her name, Vargas? Uh, Sofia Vergara. Sofia Vargas. Uh, Ver- Vergara, Vergara. Okay. Uh, Vergara. Yeah. Uh, Vergara. Al Bundy's uh, modern uh, family wife. Ed O'Neill's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the <Al> <laughs> yeah. Gloria. Gloria. She's she was Gloria modern yep. family. And uh, to be Griselda Blanca, you have to be a vicious woman, a terrifying woman. I'm four episodes in, and I think she's doing a fantastic job. I really, before I give any kind of judgment on any of it, I want to see it all the way through. I know we were talking, you haven't watched, started watching this one yet, but you know the story of her. Like, like having looked, uh, I heard of, I heard of the story, and then I saw the, and I saw it on Netflix, like, oh, they're making a movie at it. And, is that for the fear of God? That is the fear of God. I know, and there's yeah. parts of it where you kind of question it. 
you know, because there's certain like like images, the way they try to. This is a big time role. This is a big time performance for her. I think might be. I. I it's hard I'm, to make a turnaround. I'm not speaking for anybody. Like I might be wrong, even on this. I'm just kind of blindly in a, you know, in love with this little, you know, this series right now. But uh, like a like a big important role for her to really show her chops more than just some of the other things that she's done. Oh no, it's I mean she's she's uh, she's making the leap from comedy to. Uh, Drama. I mean, I haven't seen like a her. vicious drama where vicious. you're the godmother in Miami. Uh, you have to. You're going against some of the the uh, most just ruthless, you know, uh, people in the drug business that do not value life the same way that you know others do. And that's yeah. I mean, uh, based on oh, there it is. How brutal was she really? There's no getting around the fact that Gracilda Blanco killed a lot of people. Most courses claim she's responsible for somewhere between 40 and 250 murders. In the show, murder doesn't easily come to Gracilda. At first, she is plagued by guilt in order for ordering a hit on a pair of state witnesses, and she can't bring herself to cut the throat of a man who befriended her best friend. I mean, for... Beheaded. So, beheaded. Yeah. Uh, for Sofia Vergara to make that leap, I mean, it's like what you said. It's a it's a completely huge change. I haven't seen her in. Um, I really haven't seen her in dramatic films, only comedy films and shows. Yep. This will be something uh, interesting. I want to see her play that because based on what that describes, it makes her the uh, the the. This is done before the reluctant villain. She, mm -hmm. you know, she reluctantly she's reluctantly ruthless to. Just to achieve a greater means, to, yeah. and uh, just like you know, uh, uh, Michael Corleone, you know, he does ruthless things to protect well, his family. You know, like Al Pacino when he got to play Michael Corleone, and uh, uh, that role made Al Pacino what you know that was a an, a huge role for him. And there's actually that series where they did where they talked about that as well. Um, Griselda Blanca, to me, like there are roles uh, that have been done um, that have been like, you know, Oscar winning performances, you know, where it's a, a strong woman or about a strong woman. And that actress that plays that woman better come with it. You know what I mean? Because th those are going to, you know, you're going to be judged greatly for it, kind of, uh, you know, in your. F I just feel like this is one of those roles where like well that's in like it to me it's an awesome role i like that's a fucking like be a woman like a badass woman doing what she's getting to do in this there's one scene in particular where she's kind of like just walking you know but she's got a certain personality behind her where she's kind of developing who she is and kind of just like what you just read like she had a lot of guilt like that what you just read is part of the, the beginning of this series on Netflix, that's exactly kind of what we get to watch. Her go from being pretty innocent, leaving her country, leaving Medellin. 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 Is Medellin? I know there's a. I know from Entourage when they made Medellin, or what? I'm saying it freaking wrong, but from with E and Ari. And in Colombia, there's a Medellin, M-E-D-E-L-L-I-N. That's it. That's the that's the place. There's Cartagena, Medellin. Those are the two of the top Colombians. And that's where Pablo Escobar was from. And Narco. Yeah, that's a. Yep. And with now, 
if that's what the the, the review from Vulture uh, describes, uh, and if, if that's how you saw it, and it's interesting you pointed out strength because, you know, with most Hollywood uh, movies and miniseries, they say, well, we want to per- demonstrate the character as strong. Well, the thing is that you sh- what's what's uh, the smarter move is not to show the character already strong. You want to see them develop. You have to. They have, you have to. Everybody's vulnerable. Exactly. The, you have to expose the vulnerabilities to get the the uh, the marketing of the movie to work. You yeah, know? A, a more believable display of strength is one which derives from a surpassed vulnerability, a, uh, yeah. a weakness overcome. That's true strength. And, and that's how, exactly how it starts. I like I'm I'm strong. Everyone, the writers put me as strong. That's that's uh, yeah. The opening the opening quote. The opening quote where it starts black screen and it's a quote from Pablo Escobar and it says, uh, uh, the man I was most scared of was a woman <laughs> and his name was Griselda Blanca. That's the quote of what he said, you know, uh, is the person who scared him the most. The Achoas was the, uh, I think it's the Achoas actually was the uh, mafia crime family that came up to Miami during this series to try to take over at first. And, you know, she's trying to cut a deal to work with them. Let's all make money. They're like, no. As it starts off, I mean, the, the you end up finding out the reason that these guys are saying no and trying to kill you is they're scared to death of you. <laughs> because she has this persona of just fearful person. And all these women... That are you know the 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 girlfriends of these other uh, uh, you know uh, hitmen and drug dealers and and cartel you know whatevers these women are secretly pulling for Griselda to do her thing so and you're seeing parts of that in the series so they they're, they're doing a good job of you know uh, bringing this like woman pride behind her. <laughs> fucking going crazy and she's doing this with a young boy named michael corleone one of her youngest son was named michael corleone like literally like yeah because i yep yep and then there's uh dixon uber and osvaldo uh, which paragraph there are four? Uh, under personal life, Blanco had three husbands and four children. She met her first husband, Carlos, when she was 13. She and Trula had three sons together. Dixon, Uber, and Osvaldo. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Following that, uh, Blanco married Alberto after returning to Colombia. Stealing millions of dollars. Another godmother name. Yep. Blanco. Yep. Named after the character from The Godfather, oh, with their third husband Dario, and Dario is a big part of this series. Dario is, you know, who she meets and, you know, helps her in a situation. It, it's really cool how what goes. Uh, Sophia, I hope she kills it. I like. I'm four episodes in. I don't want to give a judgment until I see all of it because you never know. There's uh, there's so much development going on. You hate to to say like even uh, with and I'm not trying to change the subject too hard here. Um, because I want to keep on this, but uh, when you go back and watch uh, Game of Thrones now, you know how that last season everybody said felt real rushed? Rushed and poorly written. And poorly written? Well, when you go back and restart rewatching it from the very beginning, and there's a lot of people that are talking about this now, it's like 
maybe it wasn't so poorly written because there's a lot of uh, uh, of that series is so slow and so long, and when you forget so much of what was done, when you watch the uh, the trajectory of Darnarius Targaryen, when you watch her from uh, every sign pointed to her doing exactly what she did all the way through to the end, just the way she did it, to where people think that it was kind of like wrong and she shouldn't have been, you know, everybody wanted like to pull to her good side to be with uh, Jon Snow and all this. But when you actually, that was part of even some of the people's probably, and it was rushed for other reasons too and how fast the scenes were kind of moving and going. But as far as like the actual story itself on how it ended, people hated it too. Well, and when you go back and look, there was all these little signs that all these people and reviewers are kind of going back and they're really paying attention to that timeline. And everything that she did, every instance she always took the wrong, made the wrong choice. Well, the thing is, like she, uh, or the choice that was only be- that was better for her. And, that, and then in that case, it's true. Um, it's like um, to a certain point in the in the end of uh, season, the end of season five or six. I think it was season six. Yeah, season six. The end of season six. Uh, Tyrion, the the dwarf, gave her advice to not be so punitive with the slave traders, and she took it and she followed it. Um, some the thing mm-hmm. is like this: most of the decisions she did for herself was for her own survival. But um, I would say, like, uh, because I heard someone say that it shows the development of her breaking point. But she should have, like, of all the stuff she went through, um, like, she should have had a breaking point before the last, the final season. Uh, more than anything, I'm. I also. S- Saw a YouTube video. Um, now I don't know how true it is, but it said that George R. R. Martin. Again, this is what I saw in the video. Um, I wish I can f- know what it was, but I say, said the video source said that George R. R. Martin was basically not uh, not asked to contribute with the seasons after season four. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he- I would even believe a lot of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like that that goes without even saying. But I go, I, I completely agree with you. And like, we, I as far as like being like, is it its best version of what it could have been? I, I'm not trying to even like, even make that argument at all. Oh yeah, no, no. You know what I mean? Like, because I almost, I agree that it was like, you know, they had to rush through it because they were trying to get over to get to the Star Wars yeah. and they didn't get to the Star Wars in time, you know, because they had that going for them. So they, they rushed through this and uh, the whole way it was marketed and done was too fast because they really needed to get a few more seasons. But pretty much HBO was kind of saying, you know, you guys are leaving, so we're not going to do this anymore and keep writing it. So let's get it over with in this one year. I mean, the, the- and so that sucked, you know, and that's not the way it should have been. And if they would have yeah. drawn it out, they already had, from what I heard, is I heard the exact same thing, but then they actually, they did have all of the seasons already done when they stopped talking to him. Oh, yeah, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, like they, they, they did all of it through all to the very end, but they just had to cut out so much in that last season to, to rush it, to make it fit in that, under that many minutes. And, and the, you know, I can understand on that basis, but like, you know, they should have consulted the author because, like, he was, like, he would know, like, if you had to, if the... the you, mean, you mean consult him and saying, like, what could we cut out and what shouldn't we? Yeah, the wiser move, like, hey, listen, we don't have much, uh, we, we can only afford this many episodes as much time. Here's the, 
here's the script. What would you suggest we change? Uh, again, like, uh, and that's the one thing that we don't know if that ever happened or exactly, not. Exactly. Uh, like, and, and, and it'll never come out like verbiage from one side or the other. I don't think. Yeah. We're, we're speaking it in the term because if that really happened. Yeah. Because there's that, a relative point of it being, you know, let's say in season four, they already kind of had a, like, Hey, if we're this many seasons, it's going to be this kind. Cause usually they say when, when you have a writer kind of set up with a, you kind of have three or four versions of the way it can go. Oh, yeah. And you kind of say, Hey, if this is our timeline, we're going to have to take this route. If this is our timeline, this is going to be the story. These are the four versions of the story at different lengths, you know, uh, give us your advice on that. I think that even happens in an early on, like it, so, um, you know what I mean. Things can get repetitive, and they can be uh, based on a framework of a fanboy like myself. I want them to be the way I want it to be. Well, it's and with the right story and the right purpose, and like I want it to be like this feel good story. But the other thing, like yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah. like the right story would be how which story best falls under the context of believability in terms of yep. which falls more in line with the decisions of these characters after so after so many episodes knowing their choices yeah. and their decisions and their character development which comes as a result of yep. it. Uh, but this is again this is only speaking in terms if that yep. in fact happened uh, because we don't know Benny off advice wise advice side of the story uh one thing that uh, i like to uh one thing out of many to point out is sorry i was like just in my headset um the uh one thing to point out is uh, something about the last the final season of game of thrones so um it's um the the one episode where they finally fight the 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 zombies the walkers yeah yeah and the director chose to film it completely dark or like the only light possible is the light of fire yeah and to make to the director's justification to give it a realistic feeling yeah uh, my cousin she said that she loved the episode because of the realism i appreciate the realism of that like how, what would it be like if you're fighting zombies and in, in pitch darkness and all you have is fire that i totally get but this brings up, up a question that often falls in the arts and that is what is more realistic versus what is more visually uh, convenient for the yeah. viewer? Like, what would be better to for the artist to stick to what is more realistic and much more, much more um, emotionally on point with the setting or with the atmosphere, or make it showy so we can enjoy looking at it? Now, because the reason why I bring this up is because it falls in line with you know the choices at the end. You know, was this bittersweet ending of Game of Thrones? Because yeah. even George R. R. Martin said that the real ending, which is not the ending of the show, uh, the real ending, it was in fact bittersweet. Well, what is more important that you deliver a, a an ending that the audiences might mostly not like, but that's the it's important that you reach that point, or do you just give the the audience what they want? So so think about it in this framework because I like what you're saying there. And I, 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 do you got anything? No, go ahead. I was uh, thinking about that gray area. We're enjoying yep. your silence. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I just you know, so we I I think like we were like this last time, JD. We were just going back and forth. Yeah, and I love it. That's cool. Uh, uh, so think about it in this framework. I, uh, the books or the ultimate story that George R.R. R. Martin wrote himself 
And there are fans that can even critique what he did and said what they think he should have done better. I mean, there are, right? You have you have the the uber super. You have you have a spectrum of fan dumb to every author that's popular, right? And uh, uh, when it comes to the purpose of that book, it, it's to go as in detailed. It's to give you the, the the whole texture of the the life timeline of the character and the world and the the everything about it. He did that from his heart before he made any money on it. Okay, so he's doing that the right way. I feel when when you're creating a movie. Uh, like there might be a handful of people on this planet that have enough money to create a movie, but you know what I mean? Uh, just with his passion and heart and his pocketbook, you have to rely on other people. Like so many people start businesses and they take loans from people that, they probably shouldn't take loans with because you don't have the same personality types. So you view things differently, but you'll just risk it because if you don't do it, then it doesn't get made. And there are so many movies and, and TV series in all of, uh, uh, in our capitalistic, uh, uh, business, uh, environment of making a TV show or a movie. Uh, it's all for profit and you got investors and, you know, uh, these private holding companies, and they're all, you know, like just when you watch, uh, there's this show on, um, I don't know if it was Amazon Prime or if it was on Hulu or something, but it was about the making of, uh, um, of The Godfather. Oh, uh, uh, the, the show? Yeah. Uh, this in Paramount's called The Offer. The Offer. Yeah. Like watching that show, The Offer, on how they made The Godfather changed my whole way I think about when movies are getting... Like, there are so many things that have to go right for the, you know, and, and so many mistakes that have to, like, translate and work Oh yeah, for uh, something to be an Oscar-winning performance or a show. or And they got more of a blueprint now than they ever had, you know, in the past of doing any of this. So it's like, I feel like that's why most people, when they read the books... Those are the ones that can appreciate the whole story for what it is. And the people that watch just the t- the movie, you know, we live in this realm of just arguing about it because we only know the cliff note version of the whole story. And, and so we're just kind of going to town based off that. I don't know. That's just the way I kind of look at it's an that awesome, perspective. It's an awesome way to look at it because there are, forgive uh, for lack of a better word, there are tribes of fans yeah you have the ones that love the work and they see the adaptation and whether or not they love it they respect the original work mm-hmm. uh, and then you have the fans who love the work so much that they detest almost any alteration drastic or minor of the original work um it's star wars <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what i had in mind <laughs> Uh, I did not like, uh, first of all, I, I, I don't like any of the sequels. And you and T were fighting over this yesterday from what I heard? Oh, is, were we T? The- no, we were talking about, little side note, the guy in Narnia, the fawn. The <laughs> yeah, let's bring another world into this. Oh, Fuck yeah. But he looked, at a, <laughs> he looked at a picture of his dad and he was a full-grown centaur. So yeah. How did he get from having like fawn back legs to having a whole horse body? That, yeah, that's, dude. That's, I want to see the timeline. I, I mean, I'm sure if... 
C.S. C.S. Lewis were to explain that, that he might just throw some <laughs> New you. Testament allegory to explain how his father's a minotaur and he's a satyr. I mean, that's yeah, he <laughs> held that thought in like like he was just sitting there quietly the whole time memorizing exactly what he just said. Shit, that's like, yesterday, like, man. We busted that. I know, no, you just well, said it so well, perfectly. I told you yesterday, like in the end, I guess it's just it's like one of those things. First of all. I think he I, came out a warm liquid goo when it got bigger. I read the line of witch in a wardrobe. I don't yeah, remember yeah. a portrait of a, a centaur kind of, of Thomas's yeah. home. I, when I read the Carnicles and Aria, I don't remember a portrait of a centaur labeled as Thomas's father. But if that were so. Do you remember it. that little dance he did to get the snow off the sound his hoofs made? Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. No, well, like, um, that was cool. Just, say, was awesome. just the sound. I'm, I'm wanting to believe that that whole centaur thing was something put in by the movie, uh, by the uh, by the film crew. And I've knocked on the back of every closet that I've ever been in. Now, should we be putting just more of a you in the centaur? The cent centaur. Centaur. Well, here's like, a, here's the weird know. thing: is like, tor means bull, but what about uh, horse in Greek is equus? So. Oh, I feel where you're going with that. Or is it in Greek or Latin? It's a you I'm thing. Forgetting. Uh, hold a second. Was Tumness's? I want to see we're, we're doing a timeline of like reality <laughs> but, and fantasy what, right what? now. I didn't mean to pull us off from. No, I love that. No, no, it's no, hilarious. Yeah. We've gone back and forth the whole it's, time. It's a total. It's a total Hollywood. It says right here. Thomas's father was a fawn. He was a saint. He was a, just like Thomas. Maybe I don't so, remember it right, but I thought it was like a full centaur. Empty. I think. Uh, what was the bet? Like you just lost. So what? Do you, what is the payup? I got it. Take the hormone that turns you into a centaur. We'll film the time lapse, <laughs> right? The fact that we are you saying about either that or, or Che's got to put a blanket on his back and you got to sit behind him and be the no, legs? Hell no! I'll ride a little donkey backwards. <laughs> oh, there's I don't know, there's this one joke. Uh, a little human uh, centipede horse. No, version. it was such a good joke about um, I don't know. It's uh, it was about um, <laughs> it's. It's about how to greet, uh, you know, the, the the missionaries that come to your door. So uh -huh. how to greet them? You know, like where, like where the goat legs and the and the pitchfork have like a black, or like a red screen <laughs> with heavy metal. Going, welcome, welcome, <laughs> welcome to hell. <laughs> but going going back uh, with the Star Wars, uh, I'm not a fan of any of the Star oh, Wars. Yeah. Uh, the sequels i just i i watched them i did not like i was disappointed i'm not saying they're horrible i just it's i are you saying you hate everything that disney with them and you hope disney rots in hell for what they did to your your glorious star wars well see that would be in the camp of the really pissed off fans. yeah um and this is what i want to say is that the <laughs> Uh, this is directed at you, Thad. Concerning nobody else. I, Dad, I'm, not, I'm going to talk to you right now. Scott, don't address I, this. What I, what I think, look, first of all, I think Disney did ruin Star yeah, Wars. Ahead. Disney definitely ruined Star Wars. I okay. can't believe they messed it up this bad. It's. I think the worst, I mean, first they killed off Han Solo, even though they said that Harrison Ford wanted that. Then they... Um, then they killed off Luke Skywalker, just killing off the best characters and replacing them with not so great characters. And then, um, and then finally, the worst thing—the worst thing that they've done, the best, the, the the worst form of lazy writing—they brought back Palpatine. 
Really? Uh, the fool somehow brought me back. Really? Okay. Like, they brought back the one guy that made Vader a hero. You made Vader's attempts of heroism in vain, and they brought back Pal. And what, what, was, what was the excuse? Somehow, Palpatine returned. <laughs> it was just one of the worst for Like, you just ruined everything on so many levels. You brought back uh, this, this, like, this, the, 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 the arch villain of the, the original Star Wars. Because you couldn't think of another villain, and then you, and then how do you explain his return? Uh, I don't know. Somehow, I mean, that's just. I mean, I, and I'm even being the fanatic fan here. I'm just as an uh, as someone who loves the arts. I'm just appalled that that's the best they could do. Like, are you in the, are you talking about the part Palpatine that's kind of in the Mandalorian series and all that stuff? No, t- uh, Palpatine in the Rise of Skywalker. The okay, last, the, okay. The hopefully the end of these series. The that's yeah, that was all. That was it, right? When him and his sister, the uh, the Palpatine, uh, basically uh, something about he used the Force or the dark side to bring him. Back. He reassembled himself. So, I don't know. It's well, Darth Plagueis did that as well, or he got to a, a point where he was like almost dead, but and then he like was was uh, alive, but in a different form of being, and had to kind of rebuild from like being dead, like killed. Uh, they thought he was dead, and so in the audio book, even or he could reassemble himself, reinvent yes. himself. And that there was something that Palpatine learned from Plagueis in doing that that helped him do something. There is a, there is, a, I'm not nearly as. I just know that audio book really told me a lot because it was very interesting in the way they told it. It's worth, I'll, I'll send you a link to it. Yes, please. Uh, I, the reason, the way I found out about it is uh, I was doing some uh, banking stuff for my pops, you know, and I was over at the Wells Fargo over on 50 and uh, I walk in and the guy, the, you know, one of the attendant guys there's like, I need to get my name put on this account and all this done. Here's paperwork. And we're sitting there and he's got an Ahsoka uh, yeah, a little thing sitting over on his uh, desk and we went from just like hey how you do it like very everything professional to him just breaking down and just like cause I said oh that's Ahsoka he goes that's my favorite character the audiobook was just fantastic and he starts going and then he starts going you gotta listen do Darth Plagueis you gotta do this you gotta do this don't uh, you know he was an anti Star Wars uh, Disney guy as well but he loves the character Ahsoka and he loves that they're bringing it you know how they're bringing it to uh, you know through the through the animation at first through all the the Clone Wars and all those kind of things that were was early on and now bringing it to form with uh, with Rosario Dawson yes who I love her as a, a character you know but uh, Jared in my office too he's a just like you know what you're saying, he's all on board with everything to hear with, uh, with it. So I hear this from so many. I have one friend, Ralph. He's all about the books and all about the animated series, all the Clone Wars and all the uh, 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 what's the other one? Um, um uh, so Rebels, Star Wars Rebels. Rebels. So he was big into all of that stuff, and then all the old books. You know, the ones that never got written about or talked about or. Yeah. Or brought up. And uh, so they're in all this. Uh, I'm kind of just a, a casual fan. But as Disney has been coming out with the Mandalorian. And so this is the, the take that I'm going to give you the different take on it. Because I'm with you. And a lot of people are with you in that take of Disney screwed it. Right. Here's where um, I there's the perspective that I 
they're not making it for us anymore. No. We're 40 plus years old. This is a new generation. We are the whiny little buttheads that want everything our way. And these young people have no history or background of where this, you know, is. So they're trying to create the story for like all the future stuff. Ultimately, you know, because they're going to be the ones consuming it for the longest timeline. And since this is a business, right? Uh, 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 I... From from me as being a casual fan, uh, so you got these kids that are going to grow up with this. But at the casual fan side, I kind of appreciate Disney's dumbness with it, if that it makes any sense. Because the Mandalorian, I thought was phenomenal. The like first I season, I loved it. The second season, yeah, I would I would even agree. But I still loved it. And then when they did the. Uh, um, the one that everybody hated the most was the one with Boba Fett. The book of Boba Fett. Yeah, yeah. like that. The way they did that timeline and what they chose to use their time doing, uh, in that you know, I agree with that. But it almost one part of that whole thing. There's one thing I didn't know about Boba Fett is that, or a lot of things I don't know, but one big one is that uh, when he was almost dead, he would the sand. Uh, I forgot the. I know the, the sand critter that almost. Uh, uh, they saved his life, and retrained him, and did you know, and got him back to health, and showed them their way. Oh, even they got the 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 ones in uh in in, in cloaks. Yeah, the sand thieves. Uh, yeah, what are they called? I, f- I forgot, but uh, I know what you're talking. Uh, <laughs> the only reason why I remember this is because Mel Brooks made fun of them in Spaceballs. Yeah, yeah, he totally did. <laughs> and, and what can can you look that up real quick? What am I looking at? Um, do uh, Star Wars um, sand people? I think like they, they they wore these. They're very short. They wore these hoods. Uh, the Tuscan Raiders. Tuscan Raiders. There we go. Okay, yeah. so the Tuscan Raiders save Boba Fett, and then they, they train him. And their best warrior really works with Boba Fett and gets him to where he's almost an equal standing. Right, to teaches him the way. Is that little dudes with the red eyes? Yeah. Uh, no, those are the Java, the Javas, the ones that the Jawas, the zucchini. Oh, oh, I was thinking the Jawas. Then. The Jaw, the little Jawa guys have the red eyes and can steal anything, and they're yeah. always bargaining and yeah, even. I, I love thinking. those. Yeah. They were the first ones that spoke on that old yep movie, right? Yep. Well, I was thinking the wrong thing. It's exactly. Like zucchini. But then the Tuscan Raiders were the sand people that uh, 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 they have those big old mammoths that yeah. they ride on and everything. Well, um, what am I getting here? In this book, of, we, we got the answer. Oh, you, cool. You found it. Um, in the book of Boba Fett, it, there was part of it to where those Tuscan Raiders were their property that they owned. They had some other uh, gangsters that were using their train, running their speed train, and at the same time they were robbing the Tuscan Raiders every time they came by, you know, and uh, taking over their land that they owned and everything, and they couldn't do anything about it. So Boba Fett then said, "I'll help you guys. We're gonna, you know, take this train out." And we're gonna rob it, and we're you know we're gonna you know set new ground rules for this area. You saved my life. I'm gonna do this for you. So he does that for them, right? And they do it. It all happens, and you're like, damn, that was dope. Like that was awesome, but kind of predictable. Like you guys just kind of set it up, and it kind of was like, eh. but then, then they get back home. They celebrate. You know, the Tuscan Raiders. Uh, a Boba Fett's got to go somewhere and do something, and he leaves to go do something. When he comes back, they're all dead. 
So it's and uh, he's like, I just set the, them all up to die. And to me, the way that whole thing went down, I was so enthralled with that storyline and the way that. But when I told Jared about it, right, he's like, oh, whatever, dude, it was whatever, you know. And to me, I was like, you know, from my perspective, I was like, dude, that was like big and cool. And that was the the one cool thing I could take from that whole series. But then as they're teaming up and writing all this stuff, you know, they're kind of doing something no one's ever done before. And they're going to make a lot of mistakes. And I feel like there's a girl that they had doing some of the producing of some of the episodes that wasn't very good. But then there was the one guy that everybody liked or whatever in these series. The movies I haven't liked nearly as much as I have the series of all these. And the Ahsoka one I just watched, and I love that one. Um, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on the on the TV side of it. Well, um, the other thing, like, I think, here's the thing, they when it comes to the Mandalorian season two and three, I think it's just they went too far. They it got to their heads with the success of the Mandalorian one. I just thought that just it started to sour really quick after the second seat when this uh, soon at, when the second season began. Ahsoka's, uh, I, I I actually I liked Ahsoka mainly because of Ray Stevenson's character. He was just uh, he did a great job of this rogue former Jedi. Uh, meanwhile, um, now the, the Star Wars series I really liked, which actually got a lot of bad press, but I thought was great was the, uh, Obi-Wan series that because that was good, that really tells because I, I actually was wondering what actually happened between these years. I liked the fact that how Obi-Wan developed a friendship with, cause it was going to wondering how is it that, um, Leia and Luke have some sort of rapport with him. How did that come to be? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna totally interject because you what you're doing right now you know what you're doing right now right I'm talking that's okay <laughs> you know what you're doing what's up you're going I'm an old man right now and I like Obi One because Obi One from all my Star Wars love I have unanswered questions that I want answered and this answers my unanswered questions for my old ass I don't want these new young guys stories and these new people I don't want any of this new stuff I want my old stuff to get answered in the first place before you get to the new stuff then do the new stuff for the kids get mine done first that's what you're saying in other right words now. I'm a grandpa yes yes uh, and I, I don't, I don't that's an old breadcrumb they threw down there I love it too it is a I love it it, it, they threw a bone. Throw me a bone here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll tell, okay. You know that's what it is. It is, but I'm glad, they, I'm glad they did because here's the deal. Like this is why Rogue One was actually good. In fact, better than any of the season um, uh, episode uh, five, six, and seven. The reason why uh, Rogue One was good because it it stayed within the Star Wars lore. And it connected. It was relevant. It, it it actually fit. And it even explained the whole, you know, ex machina of the little hole in the Death Star. That it wasn't a mistake, as we previously addressed it. It was something done by a member of the Rebels uh, who was an inside man, in other words. Um, Obi-Wan mm-hmm. answers. But not only did it answer some questions, but they did it very well in the fact um, Obi-Wan, from the way I see it, um, that series was one of the best presentations of um, the force I agree. versus this. Because more than anything, it's the um, the Grand Inquisitor wanted to kill Darth Vader's son Luke to get back at Anakin for killing all the young uh, mm-hmm. Jedi students. 
And when she finally gets her chance, spoiler alert, when she finally gets her chance, that shows which is greater, our bestial instinct or our humane instinct. The fact that she spared Luke and she cried about it, that she couldn't bring herself, shows and answers the same question that the other, the, the originals are trying to show, that good must triumph over evil or it can, or it's almost making the argument that good is a natural, uh, it should be the natural triumph over evil, which has been a repeated formula in literature but and in the arts, but this is another example of it. That's well, cool. so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw one more at you here, and then I think we'll, we're getting pretty close to calling it. And then, uh, dude, if you even if you want to come back next week or another, like seriously, anytime, like the way the setup is now, it's going to be easier for us to just come over here, you know, and oh, do, do, yeah, sit yeah, down, have some coffee, have a conversation, you know what I mean, and bank it. Definitely. And uh, so, but, all right. Uh, last time you're here, I brought this up, and I think the series wasn't over yet. And I think it's this season is over. Is uh, um, the foundation? Yep. Uh, did you watch any of it? Uh, sadly, no, I haven't gotten to it yet. Okay, so I'm judging you. And next week is booked. <laughs> the week after might be okay. T block them out for like a month. Get <laughs> uh, a month. Um, I can talk to you about it in general. <laughs> you need no. You need to. You need to watch this because here's what I'm going to say is everything that you want Star Wars to be and all the triumph of good and evil and these epic, you know, uh, uh, narratives that just pull to your uh, grandpa, you know, <laughs> aging heartstrings, you know, <laughs> it, uh, it's all answered. It's all answered in the foundation. Really? Because the foundation is Star Wars. It's the first Star Wars. Uh, the writer, the Eisenhoff, uh, uh George Lucas would have never done Star Wars if it weren't for uh, the foundation. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, uh, so, and he even states that, you know, like he, he even rips from it. Uh, Star Wars rips all the terminology, the, the, the empire, uh, uh, all of these uh, like empire, all there's so many things when you watch the found, like even from a casual person like me watching this. I, my buddy Jared that I told you is a big, he loves it too. Like me and him are the only two people that talk about it at work. It's so well done. And what it is, it's the the foundation is you, you have a, a, a dawn, day, and dusk. Dawn, day, and dusk. Okay. Those are the three emperors of the everything, of the foundation, right? And they control everything. They're like, uh, they're like uh, the dark side per se and the re what it is is the emperor uh dies but he cloned himself when he died they were battling these uh uh robot humans that were like almost indestructible and they somehow were able to kill them all well there's only one left and that one is programmed now to keep the emperor the uh empire alive and going huh. so she's creating all these clones so dust dawn and day are three version clones of the same emperor but as a child as a uh, yep as a child as an old man and as you know the the current the middle man the, the middle guy he's the 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 current king and then you have your grandpa the old king and you have the kid hmm. so 
Now, these three people, if any of them step out of line, they'd be killed and a new clone will pop up with the same memory as the other one up to like an hour. So it's like the way that we're and then so then there's all these other planets like Tatooine, all these other type of planets and they have a lot of similar names. Okay. And they have a lot of similar spacecrafts and they uh, are doing a lot of similar things. Uh, but uh, they're telling a story of uh, fate in mathematics. Like uh, the foundation is all about math. So they, this is the only different. Uh, he, this guy, he's all about math. So he comes to the emperor and he tells them, hey, math is telling me, and they call it their, his religion, right? To them, it's a religion. He's like, and, and him and his math followers, right? Uh, uh, is telling me, heads. you guys are going to fall. You guys are done. I'm not telling you when, and I'm not telling you how, but it's going to happen. It's fate. It's just going to happen. And so they're trying to defeat fate, you know, and, and fate just is falling into place. Which, you know, and then it's these heart-stringing stories of all these different areas of all these important things happening and coming together to uh, toward the end of this last season, the second season, this realization happens to where the emperors are confronted with the facts and it's like, now you know why, what are you going to do with it? So it does the best job of taking our older mind curiosities and, you know, and it, and it details them in, 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 and it wrote it. It's amazing. Like, I, it's one of my favorite series ever. Like, if I can comment, like, yeah, I, I've read that, uh, that Asimov played a, an influ a huge influence on Lucas's work. I, I was, pretty much think he is Lucas. I think Lucas, like he made Lucas. <laughs> the, 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 the first work I've read of Asimov is I robot. And you know, you, you know, yeah. it's, it's a compilation of stories of robots, but it talks about consciousness versus, um, ethos versus logos, in other words. But something to point out. Um, Part of why AI is where it is right now is because of writings and, and stories and books that, that people read growing up and loved, like his. Uh, which, you know, know. Well, with AI, is basically the death of creativity. Now. Yeah. But I, uh, I'll tell you this. Damn right. Um, with, Darth Vader. With the, <laughs> with the Pretty whole. Pretty creative. Um, it's interesting that you pointed out about the, the emperor. He basically wants to make extensions of himself. Because he's perfect. He thinks he's perfect, and he thinks the only way to, for it to rule is through him. It's yet another example of how sci-fi relates to fantasy, because you have, like, for example, Sauron. He makes – an extension of himself is in the ring. Voldemort from Harry Potter makes various extensions of himself, ho-cruxes or something where yeah. – you know, like, uh, Everybody's trying to be immortal. Exactly. And here's the underlying factor – Grandpas, uh, as you say, I am. Um, yeah, we uh, Grandpa want, Che. We want the uh, we. Why do we? Why are why are uh, the the big fans so near borderline fanatical about it? Um, I won't say I'm borderline fanatical, but I would say that they are. Uh, they want the extension of the classics that they love. It's just an extension of their memories yep. and of their childhood. I will say that my biggest issue is. Well, I feel like the Disney is ruining Star Wars. I agree that because it's important here. I agree that <laughs> you, should, you should make a Star Wars yeah. for the next generation, absolutely. But don't do it by without getting ours done first. Without ruin, it's like saying I want to be the next uh, Leonardo. Great, what are you going to pay? I'm going to paint 
this. I'm going to paint the Last Supper, but they're wearing NBA jerseys. <laughs> yeah. like, you, you uncreative Cretan. Try something else. Make a Star Wars that doesn't doesn't basically um, what's the word? Uh, what uh, lack of a better word? That doesn't pervert the classics. You just you know the basis of your Star Wars is the destruction of the old one. That's so iconoclastic and it's un- it's unnerving. That's a very good question you ask. I'm going to ask Mr. Predicto. <laughs> hey, Mr. Predicto, did Disney pervert Star Wars? Now is not the right time to tell you. <sighs> Maybe next I'll, time I will It's, it's the right time for me to tell you, though. Uh, <laughs> by, by pervert, I mean ruin, dis, dismantle. There's, um, think of it like this. There's, uh, I know we're, we're wrapping up on time, but think of, think of the the crazy fans, the grand, the, the fanatical grandpas. You should remember this, the Stephen King novel, Misery, or the movie Misery? Do I remember Misery? Yeah. That's a thing. Do I remember that sledgehammer going into that guy's foot? <laughs> That is uh, tabling. Uh, that, yeah. no, that was so horrific. <sighs> but again, like what? It, like huh. think of the author coming face to face with the fanatical fan who doesn't like what the author, the chief voice of the work, the one who knows best, who must respect be respect on the final shots. Okay, because uh, that was a good. Luke, that's yeah. a good nice movie drop yeah. there. Buddy, you think like I didn't like how you did the work, but it's my work as the author. You must respect it. No, and now if you're incapacitated, I'm gonna make you write the way I wanted it, dude. Misery, you brought it back to misery to the ultimate fan hating. Of course, because right, that was that's, great, dude. Me, the way I see misery is a dark satire on fandom. Yeah, because it, like I don't like how the author did it, dude. It's not your work. You must respect the author. Kathy Bates killed that. Like Kathleen Kennedy and her and the writing staff, they, what they wrote was not what Lucas uh, expected. That's as I understand. There were plans for Star Wars that were scrapped. But again, it's all about respecting the source material. Yeah. Um, and, and here's where, here's where I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I don't have a, a, a either side like Disney or anybody, they could have done it either way. And me personally, uh, I wouldn't have had too much of a, I wouldn't get too anxious either way. So when I am giving you the, when I'm throwing the alternative (laughs) side at you, I'm not doing it based on how I feel about it. I'm doing it based on how I can take the opposite take and spin it. And I want to hear how, and that's what I do with Jared at work. You know, it's like when like they get into something, I'll try to find the other take because they do that to me when they know I'm into something. They do the same thing, motherfuckers. But, but it's good. It's it's that's worth. Yeah, it's cognitively good to present the other side because you are practicing the expression of opinions and beliefs. Yeah, you're you're practicing of of how would you formulate your philosophies in this given situation, in this given circumstance, which yeah. is what you've been providing. It's a, it's a good it's a good practice on not just practice, but an open window to see, well, how would your views would your views be the same if I told you things were this way? Yep. It's very it's healthy to keep an open mind and help you to reconsider. And it's more importantly, it gives an opportunity to clarify. Sometimes we have thoughts and views and we don't tend to clarify them. Mm-hmm. And then we look at ourselves and we find ourselves to be Oh, Kathy Bates in misery. I, I, I fully agree. And nice. I'll say this is 
the reason I agree and feel like it is important to have all these different perspectives is uh, I feel like that's kind of a, a, a like a function of what's wrong with today is uh, everybody is uh, pushing a certain narrative or a, a goal or a timeline or an expectation. Uh, it, and sometimes they're not getting the many different perspectives, whether it's from your media, whether it's from your social media, whether it's from your friends or your group, or whether it's just from the way you were raised or what, if it's just the way you fucking want, it doesn't matter. But like to have different perspectives and to understand that there, there's different perspectives goes a long way in training us and being able to pass that information along that there is a lot of different ways things can work. Everything doesn't have to be so single-minded. Uh, I just believe in that. Like I usually don't have a judgment on who's right or wrong in a lot of things sometimes. It, so many people make mistakes and we try to drive uh, our brains and our judgments of, towards perfection. And there's, You're a, wrong lot of, about there's that a lot of imperfection, friend. you know, there's so much of it. Uh, let me, let me mute T real quick here. All right. A second. We can hit volume off. <laughs> Talking too much over there. And it's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, well, the thing is, is that it's, uh, yeah. what, uh, the per perspective is necessary. Um, and I think you say, yeah, some people, I would say that if taking offense to a piece of feedback is an indicator, a possible indicator of insecurity. And but the thing is to know who your friends are. And the thing is, you should know who your friends are. Who's who's just having a uh, a courteous banter, undifferentiating thoughts. No one's supposed to think the same, and no one's supposed to keep a closed mind. Yep. It's healthy to keep your mind open, but it's also more importantly to understand that your that one's perspective is not the only perspective. Yep. But so easily. Um, especially the most offensive of uh, uh, people who argue, so easily do we forget. I don't think that we forget intentionally. We forget in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. um, like, I mean, us amongst friends, we know that we're having a fun banter. But, you know, from what I've seen in YouTube videos, pro where there's a, pro uh, a manifestation, a protest, a uh, or even on, whew, on Fox or MSNBC where commentators... Mm -hmm. You know, when they <laughs> yep. go up to f yeah. go as far as uh, talking over each other. Oh, it's insane. It's like, do they, are, they, are they aware? I mean, I hope they're aware. I hope they look back on it. But, you know, do they? <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. You have to have a counterbalance to, to, to everything in a way to, to be able to. I don't know. I feel like if you can't respect everybody uh that thinks differently than you or uh or any of these type of uh uh fit any of these narratives that you see on television you see like uh i only watch this channel whether it's fox msnbc uh uh, uh if you watch yeah. only animal kingdom and you only believe in what animal kingdom you know does and what their commercials tell you or whatever uh it, it's i don't know man it's kind of maddening that that so many people are the loudest people are the ones that in right now for this timeline are the ones that are being heard the most. It's, um, and it's, and it's, hmm. I mean, it's better. Uh, I'll say that even though we still, uh, there, are, uh, well, we've, we've, we've yet to reach a status in society where we don't argue as if we're in a high school cafeteria. Mm -hmm. We, 
we we have evolved <laughs> compared to ancient times. There's a time where in the Roman Senate, uh, yes, I brought it back to ancient Rome. There, in the Roman Senate, there are these tribunes. Tribunes is basically the in the Senate, the closest to uh, a representative. And sure. there were only two tribunes in the Senate, I remember. And they were called the Gracchi brothers. There was Caius and Tiberius Gracchus. And one of them proposed to the Senate um, a, a new form of legislation that would favor the plebeians, the poor. And the patricians are all uh, aristocrats. They took, uh, according to what I read, they took their chairs and bludgeoned the representative to death because they hated what he proposed. <laughs> I mean, that there's more to it than what I just said, but like, yeah. I mean, we're not at least undoing that. It's and, a stretch. Do you know what today's counterbalance here? I'm just giving you a stupid example, but it's kind of a real one for the videos that you see on YouTube right now, where it's showing the narratives of all the, you know, the division and all the, the, the aggression, then use your counterbalance and all this, you know, canceling each other and everything. Then there's this counterbalance. And it's like these YouTube shows, like these, uh, uh, it's comedy, stand-up comedy has always been like kind of one of your, oh yeah, you know, one of your big uh, indicators on what's going on in the world and what can be exposed. And uh, my daughter, myself, uh, my circle around me, a lot of us are comedy fans. And, you know, a pot with podcasting and everything, it goes everywhere from the local guys like the Tom and Dan's that I love. And then you got your guys like your Burt Kreischer's, you got your, oh, yeah. you know, Theo Vaughn's, you've got your uh, Bobby face. Lee's. Yes, dude. You have, uh, uh, but then you got these uh, on YouTube, these videos, the counterbalance, it's in, it's these roast comedy. Okay. <laughs> so you got Kill Tony. Okay, I heard and it. they're in Austin, and and they just bring people up for one minute, whether you've done comedy a bunch or not, and and you you got a minute, and the crowd, everybody gets to judge you, then they ask you questions, and there's banter back and forth. Sometimes it's really funny, sometimes, but it's always super offensive, like it's it's multiple uh, ethnicities making fun of each other, and when you watch certain uh uh. Uh, news and, and certain co you know content, especially in mainstream, where it's owned by private entities that have a, a special interest in portraying a message a certain way to get a certain outcome. Okay, that's the that's mainstream. When you go to a comedy show and you see just random people joking and laughing and defeating your narrative. Of, you know, people not accepting each other or people being, you know, uh, a prejudice towards each other, all these different things. When you watch a comedy show where these guys are saying some of the most aggressive, hardcore things <laughs> to each other, calling it like, you know, all the your mama times 5,000, you know, everything is in a butthole or we're doing this to your butthole or it's all in jester and fun. And everybody's laughing and going home without any poor negative feelings. And then you see all this division within our politics, within, uh, within it's, it's a narrative that's being pushed at us and we don't have to, you know, uh, take it. And that's what podcasts are, are so awesome for. And that's what, you know, people should be doing is being able to laugh and joke about things and towards things and have different opinions on things 
it's not all about being like-minded, you know, hive mind mentality as, as a, hum, a human race. We're so much better than that. Well, you know, it's, uh, and it was uh, great what you say is that people tune in to, you know, stand up and podcasts. Um, one, one of the reasons I believe is your mom's house, by the way. Oh, uh, Tom's and girls, right? Oh yeah. Him and his wife are the TikToks. Are the that's best. a great, that's, I love that podcast. Uh, I love two beers, one cave also. Oh, that's so good. Right. But they turn into pot, like you drinking that much Kool-Aid. That's one of the things I like. It's a lot of Kool-Aid. One of the things I watch, um, to de-stress is watching Bob Ross painting videos. Yeah. It calms me down. But now <laughs> when you, Jack Black's playing them, when you're also, uh, when, uh, I thought it was Owen Wilson. Yeah. That's what I heard. It's not, oh, there was something about Jack Black on YouTube. Well, uh, uh, I'll get, yeah, to, keep, go ahead. I'll get to, uh, so with, when you watch podcasts, it's, you watch people having a pleasant conversation or they're, they can be like, they can be some bantering, but it's all good jest. Look at stand up comedies. No one go, would, uh, I mean, it's one of the reasons why hecklers, especially, uh, heckler, especially the uh, the very defensive hecklers, yep. who go to comedy shows and they complain that someone's telling jokes, even if they're risque jokes. People are not are going there to say like it's the, it'll be like a Puritan or a Quaker yeah. um, or a teetotaler going to a bar. Like, yeah. what are you doing here, preaching that everyone exactly. having drink alcohol? If you don't like it leave and see in in human face to face in a bar in a setup like that we know how to handle that situation right yeah separate that person from the situation when it comes to the internet we haven't learned as a hive like a society as a whole like a network on how to deal with that anomaly yet you know, and I'm not saying to shut them out and like the same, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, not, you're not doing it in a dehumanizing way, but you're saying stop trying to stir the fucking pot. And we have to have a better way of being able to communicate online with ideas and everything without that aspect. You know, that aspect becomes the debate on each of these social media channels. Like you, the people found the, 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 the wording that's divisionist and then they, argue it and none of that's going to matter here in another five years because it's going to be a whole different argument because we're going to be all up in ai talking about can this robot really wipe my butthole when i after i poop and then offer to make me a sandwich you know uh is it going to be clean enough is this sanitary is this okay to have an emotional connection to this robot and i'm going to say it is okay but can our, but we'll see but we can even ai even i mean think about it like this whether it's a podcast or whether it's a TV show or a stand-up comedy routine or anything, it parallels to what the Roman satirist Juvenal said. It's hard not to write a satire. To that extension, it's hard not to look around you and not have an opinion. Yeah. You've, you're, you're, I mean, even that in your Definitely. unconscious or in your subconscious, you're going to have a thought about it. It's And maybe you might be... You might have the fortitude not to express it to other people, but without a doubt, there is a want. There's always a want. There's well, and here, here's the other thing on the racial part of it. If you are a person, because I think it's okay to uh, to be curious, to ask questions, to uh, uh, to even disagree about so many things. When it comes to if you're like a a, a young uh, white male or female and you've been raised around your white family around everybody and then you're uh, 
go to like an Asian or a black or a, a South American of any type, uh, their uh, home or to their life or just involved in their life, even here in America. At first, your natural instinct is to be a little bit scared and uh, until you understand or nervous or per- cautious about something and act a certain way, like uh, until you understand things and then all everything goes away. So we have to be able to uh, uh, intermingle uh, in a in a in a smarter way uh, in online at least I should say because in public I don't think it's much of a problem unless you just got a stupid asshole and that could be anybody. You know what I mean? Well, I, uh, I'm sorry. Just, no, it's fine. Uh, just to be respectful. It is, and it, it's so. It, I think I agree that fear divisive that we hear it in a different way. I think fear is an under, is the underlying factor that prevents us from courtesy. Uh, mm-hmm. Fear, I mean, so many ways. And I'm not being uh, vague here, but there are various ways you can define fear. To me, fear is the anxiety of not understanding. Mm-hmm. That is fear. Yeah. That is not un- like. Being nervous of that which you don't understand. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, when our uh, fight or flight instinct kicks in in our brains, we become hostile or defensive. We don't know how to process it. Exactly. Um, and for the anyone who loves Disney, it's even in the lyrics of the Kill the Beast song, we don't like what we don't understand and tries to scares us. But, yeah. you know, it's regardless, um, why do we react negatively to that which we don't like? Because we fear to learn it. Mm-hmm. Now, Learning is not the same thing as liking. You can be afraid of something, but you learn it, and then you make a conclusion. Is it my cup of tea or not? Yeah. And there there you go. But it's understandable to be to be apprehensive of taking the next step of learning something. Even if, if you're angry about something, guess what? That anger that prevents you from not wanting to learn, the way I see it, it's just another form of nervousness yeah. uh, because it's also the pride, letting the fear of letting go of your pride, thinking that you're weak just to forget about your anger and learn of that which makes you angry. You can, it's not saying that you're going, did you have to let go of your beliefs? You have to learn and make sure whether or not your beliefs are well-founded or not. And, and I'm going to end it on this, guys. Uh, think about this. If our children were taught at, at a young age that basic principle of trying to, uh, as you age, there's going to be things that you don't know and understand, and that's okay. And, and uh, to teach them adaptability at a young, more even to me, it's almost more important than any kind of reading, writing, Everything else is having a, a core internal uh, a behavioral mindset of being accepting, but being cautious and understanding, you know, why you're feeling and thinking a certain way. I feel like so many times in life, you know, I remember me, uh, as you're going through situations, you have no clue the, the right way to handle something or why you just reacted to something so quickly in some way. You have a little bit of an idea because you've either watched a TV show or you've heard a parent say something or you think you know everything or you, you know, uh, but you probably have only scratched the surface on why you're behaving in that way. And if you really understood it, would you do it a better way for yourself and then just be that further along in life? And maybe we'd have a lot more people a lot happier just as a simple you know thing but just have a core of that intelligence in our 
ecosystem would be just phenomenal. Well, that's why they say where there's a will, there's a way. There mm-hmm. only, there's only a way if you you're only going to change if you're willing to take that step forward, oh, yeah. whether you're scared or not. There's, it's only gonna you're, it, no 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 if uh, if we're talking about evolution, no animal adapted to a new environment by staying uh, by staying scared in the previous environment. Yeah. They stepped out and they might not evolve, but their successors have. Yeah, I got I got uh, hawks out here catching you know mice out back in the trees when i'm sitting out back and i got uh, uh owls out there hooing and everything right in between these family houses man they're making it happen uh, they're a hoot that's right they've evolved and adapted and um even for even for fans of art it takes um i was already annoyed with what disney did to star wars but i took the leap and i saw ahsoka i saw obi-wan yeah and i I I I, I did right this through yeah. Mandalorian season two. <laughs> but look at look at look at look at Henrik look at the, the region playwright Henrik Eeps and he wrote a play called The Dog House, Doll House. Real quick, it's about a woman who uh, she's always been basically the housewife or she's basically the husband's pet, uh, Torvald, and she makes a mistake, an innocent mistake, but she makes a mistake trying to protect her husband from something. And then even though the mistake is resolved, her husband finds out what she did and he demeans her, puts her down. And she never heard her husband. She, she finds out how her, that her husband never respected her. He treated her like a doll, like, oh, my cutie pie. Oh, my sweet thing. But when she saw you some unleashed anger putting her down, she decides to leave him. Now, when Ibsen wrote the book that she leaves him with the kid and becomes her own woman. The fans did not like it, or the the publisher did not like it. He said, people are not going to love your play if you don't change the ending. She must stop at the doorway, turn around, have a change of heart, and stay for the sake of the kid. Ibsen did not want that. But for the fans, he made an ending that made him sick to his stomach. All about changing. Know your audience. It is, man. So, guys... (laughs) That was cool. Another epic one yeah. too. There was another like Thank almost you. two hours. Got an hour forty five minutes Sweet. in. I think we were the exact same the t- last two times. Uh, let's keep it going, man. Anytime. Felt but like an hour. Tate, so we just figured out uh, films and series. Like whose diggle was it meant to daggle? Yeah. The fan or the author, or whatever creator. The diggle versus the daggle. Yeah. That's is, what, is, that, is that an, is that the. We're not meant title? to diggle. We're. Yeah. We daggle together. He's a daggler. <laughs> He'll diggle. Diggle the daggle. Oh, this is so much fun, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Daisy's in a T-top, screaming from the top of her lungs. This all ends tonight. Awesome.